Mic check, check, check. Welcome to the PowerShell Podcast. Your home for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm superstar host Jordan, along with world's smallest bladder, Andrew Plaw. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> People who are close to me will know that. <laughs> Apparently, this was not one of my friendly intros that uh, you've become so used to. <laughs> it could have been worse. I, I've definitely gotten worse. So, you know, we're keeping it honest here. We're letting it all hang out, apparently. But, you know, it's not just you and I, Jordan. We have a very special guest today. It's a, a, a literal legend. <laughs> we got uh, Michael Green. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is this is our pleasure. We've been excited for this one. Lots to talk about. Definitely. So I know there's we've announced it on the podcast a few times about DSC two, um, but figured we'd hear from you. I know there's been a lot of changes and things going on there. Um, what is DSC two point and what's your role in it? Uh, we so we are we. I guess we're confident at this point that we're going to call it three and that's because. Um, so we think of V1, we're, we're basically thinking of it with versions of the module named PS Desired State Configuration, uh, which stable right now is V2. We were working towards a V3 of that, and there was a lot of feedback based on like early um, choices, but also just sort of limitations with that platform that we were kind of headed in the right direction. Mostly, we were very focused on DSC being class-based for a number of reasons. And uh, that was leaving behind the 1,300 resources that are in the gallery, which is a bold move. And then um, people just weren't comfortable authoring it that way. So we said, all right, well, what if we, you know, if it, we kind of went through the exercise like, ah, oh, if it's Christmas morning, you can get anything you want. You know, what would you ask for? It's like, I think I would just, you know, kind of, kind of do this completely differently. So we landed on, let's call it B3. And then we aren't even necessarily calling it PowerShell DSC anymore. Uh, so we're maybe just going to call it Microsoft DSC. Not, not really sure on that. The beauty of being an alpha is you can be, you can be uncertain and make risky decisions. And if you don't like the outcome, you can just change your mind and it's not going to break anybody. But um, we probably will call it Microsoft DSC. So the whole thing is rewritten in Rust. Uh, so it's, it's everything's a native command. But PowerShell is... Uh, kind of got like a like a like a VIP experience, I guess you could say. So, um, I've been testing community resources for the last week and have really good success working with them. So, the I would say, out of all the new features, one of the big ones was make sure that everything that has been written in the past continues to be something people can use. But then there's like all these new these new scenarios that we always wanted to do but didn't know how. Um, so one of the things when we when we sort of moved DSC uh, from Windows to Azure, one of the things we kept talking about was, man, wouldn't it be cool if people could just like the whole concept of a PowerShell one-liner? Like I literally just want to write a line and then somehow use that to manage my server. And how would you do that? Because people were trying to do that so much with the X script or the, or the script resource in PS Desire State configuration, where like you build a configuration, you just put a one-liner in there, like 
I want to list services. I'd, so I just run get service, that kind of stuff. Uh, so we've got that now. You, we, you can literally just for get, set, and test align to a PS1 file for each and then put whatever you want in there. Uh, but that's just one example of the effort to, to make it more simple so that if people want to write their own resources, they can. Um, but I would say the main principles, like we're moving away from requiring WMI on Windows and OMI on Linux and just wanting to be um, a native command, kind of follow cloud native patterns, uh, patterns that are easier if you're building this into cloud templates, whether you're on-premises um, or in a, a, an actual, like having somebody else uh, host your VM for you. Um, I don't know. I can go on and on if you don't stop me. So <laughs> I was just curious what made you end up going with Rust for the, the base language? We originally looked at um, C++ and then at somewhere along the way we were looking at Rust for other projects and sort of fell in love with it as a language. We were finding that we were producing things really quickly. It's great for cross-platform. Um, and it ended up being a, a really nice choice. Like once it, like writing tests for it, the way that it does packaging, like everything. It, it, like one of the delights to me, uh, because I am, my background is not as a developer, it's in operations. I can't tell you how many times like a developer says, oh yeah, you can build this project, just clone this repo and run build. And I do it and it doesn't work. And I'm like, why does this always happen to me? Uh, and it's be, and it's always like, oh, well, you didn't have the right version of this, 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 and this. So go install these NuGet packages and then go get this SDK or whatever. Uh, one of the things that's been great as a PM is when Steve Lee says, go run this build PS1 on your machine and it'll work. It just works. Uh, there's this notion of crates, which are kind of like modules, uh, but it's made it really nice as a PM um, because it, it's it's very easy for me to go do validation along the way. I don't know that that's necessarily because of the language or if it's because Steve Lee is an awesome engineer. I'm not sure, but that's been nice not both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that there was some feedback about classes and uh, leaving the resources behind not being the right approach for the community. How are you getting that feedback from them? Was it issues? Was it the community call that you do for DSC or what was that? So a lot of it is also because uh, DSC is now being used in multiple services in Azure um, through support cases, through like talking to those customers. And, and really also like the Microsoft field will bring us like, hey, this customer would like to be able to configure their, you know, this, that and the other in on their servers. Um, but they feel intimidated because they don't know how to work with the way that you're suggesting to write resources I'm like all right that's fair you know if that's the way it is then we should try something else so that's also so uh at that point in time the engineer i was working with then this is probably back in like i don't know five years ago um we started brainstorming the idea of what if we decouple the way that the resource is written from the way it's executed so what if you like you've got you know dsc as an engine that knows how to do things what if you had just a json file that said when it's time to run get here's the script you're going to run here's the parameters and then here's the executable you're going to run to expect that almost like a shebang in linux and then at that point we don't really care like if you want to write it in ruby or you want to write it in go or you want to write it in bash 
what do we care? All we know is when it comes time to run Git, you're going to do this. And if you want to do Python for set, but bash for Git, we, like, why should we care? Just completely decouple that stuff. Uh, we just didn't have time back then to, to go implement that with the number of people we had on the team. Um, but now we're making a, a new effort, I guess, around DSC that's given us that opportunity. So that's been really fun uh, working with Mikey Lombardi to go write a bunch of validation scenarios and see what it's like running like PowerShell on Linux for set, but bash forget, you know, that kind of stuff. Forget, not the word forget, but for <laughs> the get function. Right. Yeah, I know he has a background in that as well. So bringing his experience combined with yours and it sounds like a new effort. It, it's got to be an interesting time to be a PM because it sounds like you've been working on this for a while now. Uh, in, in various flavors, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that really helped with DSC um, about a year ago, the Winget team uh, reached out to us and said, you know, you can Winget install an app now, but what if you want to populate all the applications on a machine? And then all the complications that comes with, right? Like dependencies and things like that. Um, so they really started pushing and expressing a requirement for V3, and that helped us a lot. To, to justify why we should really lean back into this thing and make it happen. So that's been awesome. It's exciting. It wasn't that long ago that DSC went open source. Has, has that changed how everything works for you? Or is it, like, is it a different process now or how's that working? Yes, 100%. Uh, so we wanted to open source a long time ago. And then that kind of fell apart. <laughs> we can talk more about that later. But uh, the... Um, we did open source PS desired state configuration finally, and we were happy with that. Uh, that doesn't include LCM or anything like that. It's it's all of the like invoke DSC resource and things like that, and it's completely in power. Well, mostly in PowerShell now. Um, but for V3, it was important us to just make it make it open very very early. It wasn't like on day zero, but it was pretty close. Um, I think Steve, it was it, it, Steve wanted to answer the question as early as possible, like, where do I give feedback? And one of the nice things too in Alpha, like we have all these new concepts like assertions and all these different things. And uh, he can start coding and take it a direction and people can go submit an issue right now. And the, the milestone that we've kind of decided that we would call it is um, uh, that it's like uh, functionally complete would be beta. So everything leading up to then, like we're literally just on a weekly basis saying, well, what if we try this? And then we'll go find, you know, two or three people that have said that they care about it. And, they, you know, can you try it? Can you put issues in if it's not working for you? And that kind of stuff. It's, it's, this is the fun part of the project because you can do whatever you want. Once your code complete and it's functionally complete and people want to start, you know, building partner solutions on it, things like that, you you have to live with your choices. <laughs> so. This is the fun part of it. So we'll include some links in the show notes to where people can read more about DSC and getting started. But I think there's also a community call. There is, yeah. It, uh, it's every six weeks. Um, it's it's hosted by the DSC. So one of the things that's really nice about DSC uh, is it's it's very, uh, on the resource maintenance, it's very community-led. Um and that group of people is just awesome. 
So they host their own community call. We usually try to get as many people from Microsoft to join as we can, but it's really happening outside of Microsoft, which is really fun. Awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. great to see. Yeah. Yeah, I love that call. Now, circling back a bit, I kind of want to hear how you got involved in Microsoft, but way back in the day, 2016, there was a certain document that you helped co-wrote. Can you tell us a little bit about that document and where things were then and what you were hoping to address? Yeah, so back then, um, you know, the concept of DevOps was relatively new. Um, I was going to a bunch of conferences and meetups and learning how uh, people on Linux were doing configuration as code and, and driving it through a release pipeline and just taking concepts that were just natural for developers and thinking about, well, maybe if we should do this for our infrastructure. And so people were trying it on Windows, but nobody was making it clear that this was a good answer for Windows. And um, as, as DSC came out, uh, Jeffrey and Kenneth and others were very clear that we know Windows has way too many, not, not way too many, but it is driven by uh, programming interfaces. So you got to talk to the registry, you got to talk to the file system, you got to talk to WMI, you got to talk to Active Directory, you got to talk to IIS, like every single one of these things is different. And um, what would it even look like to say with DSC, okay, if everything can be managed as a flat file, can you then just take that file and put it in your source code for your application and have the way that your machine gets configured be right there with your application code? So we started prototyping it, um, had really good encouragement from Jeffrey Snover. That was awesome. He's, he's just the best ever. And uh, ended up uh, partnering with Stephen Murawski. Uh, he and I wrote a paper about it and just sort of went through the patterns. Like, this is where we think people are stuck with, with the way that they're maintaining their Windows environment and how these new practices could get you out of that. And it was super fun. I spent like a year just traveling and talking about it, which was really, really fun. It's a pretty influential time in IT. And I kind of got in after a lot of these things were made, maybe like 2018-ish, I was kind of taking things more serious and definitely benefiting from a lot of the principles that you stated. And how do you feel like things are now? Because to me, it seems like people are still learning this for the first time about um, they are, pipeline sure. release models just in general. I just like a month ago came across a post on Reddit and literally texted Stephen Murawski with the link and was like, how is this still going on? <laughs> it was somebody who was frustrated because when they remote desktop into their production server and yada, 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 I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> like that's, you're, you're, you're creating a nightmare of your own. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, whenever, I, whenever I was working on that, I, would, I got pretty stressed about it and uh, went and talked to a mentor then at Microsoft because uh, he, he was getting ready to retire um, and he had worked as a PM for a long, long time. And I said, I'm really concerned because I see an easier way for people, but some people just don't, they're not interested. And he, he just said, well, he goes, the same thing happened. It, it's happened like 20 times. Like it, it went from, you know, as people moved off of mainframes, it went, uh, you know, from NT to windows 2000, like it's just 
you know, there, there were people in my career that were saying like, oh, there's certain workloads that we're never going to move into virtual machines. It just wouldn't make sense. Like we need every possible bit of performance off of this hardware, right? So there's workloads we'll never, we'll, we'll always do bare metal, we'll never virtualize. And uh, he and I kind of talked that, he goes, you're going to have to make peace with the idea that there's going to be a bunch of people that just, they don't, they don't change, they don't make the corner. And and you can't do anything about it. So just move on. Um, so I still see it quite a bit. Uh, I, I think there's lots of room for advocacy there. Where, like you said, they don't teach this stuff to us in either certification courses. Well, I think there's a little bit in certification courses now. But, um, you know, you can't get like a college degree on this. Right. It's not the expectation that people have when they go into jobs often. And, and it sounds like so many of the orgs are so immature that they're not setting any kind of standards. So from what I see is the people that are able to get into this, they find some form of community that's like, oh, hey, no, this is actually the right way. Or they stumble upon the infrastructure release pipeline uh, white paper kind of thing. And they say, oh, wow, this is how people are actually managing things at scale and getting value and uh, a better approach to things. But until that is like the standard, I feel like so many people, so many orgs are so immature. It's just, there is no standard. It's just day-to-day closing tickets. And doing it safely. Like how, like thinking about, because I worked in operations for a long time and we were doing things mostly manually and the stress that that carries, like it's, it's, it's Friday, you're ready to shut down, but can you, or is that thing going to fall over that you've been working on all day? And if so, you know, is your business potentially going to be at risk? And, um, versus if you're, if you if you're implementing it, just I mean, we're going to say as code, but it's just writing scripts, and then you've got some simple level of of tests that run. So whenever you push that change, it's like got your back. It's just saying, oh well, let's first make sure that you didn't have a typo and that everything looks okay, and then let's try running the script on a test machine. Which if you've got a nice little pipeline set up, it just creates a VM somewhere and installs the workload, and then tries running your scripts. Did everything fall down or is the application still responding the way that it should? Okay, that looks good. All right, let's put those results in. You can review them and then say release to production and then you can start versioning your production. And it sounds like so much more work, but the peace of mind from that, whenever you get to the point where you can make changes and it's not just like a, you know, I'm going to I'm going to change this group policy setting from not configured to enabled and then just cross my fingers. Um that's a huge difference in, in your personal life uh, and, and going home and not taking that stress with you. How do you, so imagine you're at an org where there's no IT leadership buy-in and you're very much overwhelmed dealing with the day-to-day of just things breaking all the time. How do you carve out the time to learn about how to implement this and the actual daytime during work to implement it? Do you have to get leadership <laughs> buy-in or, or how should someone who's like, Oh, this all sounds great to me, but you know, how should they go forward? I don't think there's a magic answer there. I really wish there was, I, I wish that was a solvable problem in like a systemic sort of a way. Um, because every organization is different, every leader is different and every person's different. So, um, Either it's, I've seen situations where it's just on the individual. I've seen cases where there was a leader that um, decided the only way that they were going to create peace in their organization would be to move to uh, a safe deployment mechanism of any shape. It doesn't have to be, you know, the things we've talked about. There's a lot of ways you can do this. 
but just like the idea that someone's going to directly connect to a production server and I'm going to say randomly, I know it doesn't feel random. People think, oh, but I opened MMC and I went to a thing that I know and I clicked this, which I know, but there was no, there, there was no series in that release that said, go run these tests and make sure nothing that you didn't anticipate might happen. Um, so a lot of it, I think, is, is organizationally different from environment to environment. I wish there was a magic answer there, but I don't think there is. I, I mean, Stephen Murawski would have some magical wisdom here that's like, go find the scenario that's causing, you know, like he would go to the theory of constraints, probably. Like, find the thing on the manufacturing floor that's backing up the line. That's the one you've got to replace first, stuff like that. It's probably true, um, but to your point, also, it might just be on the individual to take the time and, and go be an advocate for themselves. Well, almost always in business, if you can prove that you're going to save money, it'll fly. But that's something where you can s- prove that you're saving time. But if they're not going to associate the value of someone's time as money saved, it, it can be a harder sell, I think. The hardest but best sell is whenever, and this is like a, um, a Phoenix Project type of thing, uh, which I love that book. I read The Goal in college for a class. So when The Phoenix Project came out, I was like naturally in love with it. I literally read the whole thing in one day. Um, the uh, the idea that as an uh, as someone in IT, instead of being focused on, you know, making sure that the drive mapping is available on everybody's workstations because they're used to it and they freak out if it's not there, stuff like that. Um, if you go to the people who are making a difference in the business and say, so what what is what is the biggest holdup for you in sales or manufacturing or finance or whatever? And if, and they might have an answer like, Oh, I'd I'd prefer to have three monitors. (laughs) You have to go like, no timeout. That's not what we're talking about here. Like literally what could we do as a business that will make your life better? Not don't stop thinking about it as just like electricity, you know, or, or how the phones work and like, how can we literally make, uh, improve your life and make our business better. And that will bring the IT group closer to the business. Also, super, super hard conversation to have, right? You can, we can't trivialize this. Like this is a super intimidating, not everybody wants to even have that conversation. It's a good chance to work on those communication skills that we yeah. often talk about because it yeah. really is such a difference maker when you can communicate and turn from, like you're saying, electricity into we're adding value, we're solving problems. It opens you up for more creative, interesting projects you can work on, and it can earn you a lot of respect within your teams, and that can help for future conversations and recommendations that you may have. Absolutely. I love it. I think another point that I think you made earlier was that your just work life gets to be better when you're able to have peace of mind. Your personal life is better when you learn these skills and are able to maybe upskill or get a raise or find a new job. And organizations that do things the right way, um, I think are probably going to be a little bit more enjoyable to work on. You'll be working with other people who kind of see things in a similar way and understand what best practices maybe actually are rather than we're just doing what what happened in the past. Um, 100%. You can see that like at conferences, whenever you go talk to people, the people who are trying to create a safe release environment generally are like i don't know if these things are causation or correlation it's hard to guess but they do seem less like they like they have options 
right? They're, they're not just like, oh, I just show up and, you know, I've got to restore from tape and then I've got to make sure things are patched and somebody's yelling because whatever, like whenever they've kind of refocused IT as part of their company, um, it's they, they just naturally seem to be like, oh, well, it, we have more decisions that we can make and we've made those things that were just firefighting. Um, I don't know that they go away, but they're, they're not the end of your life and causing you to carry stress every moment. Yeah, that stress is a no-no. Uh, now, how has community involvement played a role in your career? Because we're talking about the release pipeline model document that you wrote, which was a community effort, right? It's not a professional thing you earned direct compensation for as part of your job. It's a community thing. And it sounds like afterwards you did a long uh, year stint of talking about it. And I know you've been active in capacities outside of that. But how has that played a role in your career, your options, your knowledge, all of that? Yeah, it was crazy. So um, at that point in time, I was working for the Windows CAT team, which was Customers, Architectures, and Technologies. Uh, this is a, a concept at Microsoft. They have all different names. Um, that was what that team was called. It was great. Uh, I was working for a guy named Alan Stewart, who was an awesome mentor, very encouraging and, and pushing people to think you know, beyond. But um, he was a, he he encouraged me 100% and helped me to find like a tech writer that I could partner with to make it a more professional document and things like that. Um, so it kind of it, it wasn't something that came up as an assignment in my job, uh, but it became my job over time, um, which was great. Uh, and then traveling and talking about it certainly became my job there for a while. Um, one of the nice outcomes of that is because I was working so much with different people across different communities, really, um, probably two, I, it's funny when you think back along the timeline of your life and you like, can't figure out what happened when, but, uh, probably a two or three years later, um, Kenneth Hansen was the PM lead for PowerShell. And I had a, I'd effectively become like the, uh, like the PowerShell cat person. Like I was working in the cat team, but I was, I, I somehow had assigned myself to PowerShell just just you know small steps in that direction over a long period of time sort of thing um and so he started pushing for well can we, the weird thing was i don't live in redmond and so at that point in time being a remote pm was not a popular thing some people were doing it and were very successful but it wasn't a part a, a common part of the of the culture then um so he started pushing to come over and be a pm uh, as the community lead for PowerShell. And his argument was, well, we don't need the community lead to be in Redmond. Actually, it's better if they're out and with the community and going to meetups and things like that. Uh, so he was successful in getting that done. I have a lot of gratitude to him. Um, and so, I mean, that's direct impact to the community on my career. It doesn't get more direct than that. Uh, now, as a community lead, probably within a year, I started getting engineering assignments and then took off in another direction. So I didn't stay community lead forever, um, but it directly influences my decisions now because whether it's talking to MVPs, like holding something, like a, a topic will come up. Our whole team at this point will be like, you know, before we make that decision, maybe we should wait for the next community call and see what people think and bring it up and that kind of stuff. That's a that's a weekly conversation we have. Um, and I think that 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 is something that the PowerShell community influenced uh, directly. So if I'm understanding this right, you were both 
pioneer and founder of the idea of using Reese Pipeline and remote work at Microsoft? <laughs> well, I definitely can't take credit for uh, the concept of using release pipelines because in the Linux world, that was normal. I, I, I just raised my hand and said, hey, everyone, I think we can do this for Windows too. I, I wasn't even the first person to do that. I just wrote a paper about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, being remote uh, was not easy for a long time. Now it's normal. Now like we're tons and tons of people are remote and like um there's there's lots and lots of conversations that happen like whenever we're like oh let's let's figure out how we can have a team launch and somebody will say what about all the people who are remote and i'm like oh my gosh you know how long i've been waiting for somebody besides me because i'm not going to raise my hand i'm just like nah you guys go ahead it'll be fine <laughs> but now that it's more like distributed uh yeah that's surreal so i kind of want to poke into that move to project or product manager because i've also seen jason helmick make that move and my mind goes to wondering how much of your decision to move into that role was having it be an effective use of your experience and be able, being able to actually um make changes at a pretty close level to what you seem to be pretty passionate about like was that a big factor is is being a pm the great way to add value and take use of your perspective can be uh it is there's there's uh <laughs> so it, it, it you are also going to carry that burden so i wouldn't say it's like yeah definitely go be a pm uh there for a lot of people it is a great career choice um and yes you will be able to be a conduit for the community to reach engineering. You don't want to go do that. Like you don't want to be M because you want your ideas to surface in the product. You want to do it because you can be a conduit between the people whose lives you can improve and the technology that can deliver that. But you're also going to carry the stress whenever that thing doesn't get released on the schedule that you thought it was. Um, getting all the compliance things in order, uh, figuring out who will partner with you and, you know, go winning all of the little internal battles that happen every day about like this project was going to use this technology. They've had to change their minds. What does that mean for your business? All of those things. Um, so yeah, it's, it can be very, very rewarding, uh, but it's not probably as, um, I would say that like the reality of the day-to-day -day work is probably not as elegant as it might seem. <laughs> Well, it seems like you're definitely living out the values of, of you know, getting the um, community feedback and implementing it. I think you mentioned having to rewrite a large majority of it just based on on customer feedback. So that's cool. I think that what I've gathered from talking to different PMs is that you definitely have to be able to remove a certain aspect of things and just rely on the feedback system and the ability to implement feedback and improve things in the future and just know that you can keep improving things in the future because not everything is going to ship perfect and there's going to be things that could be improved and uh, being open to that is is huge. The hardest part of that process is the people who will be loudest might not have the right answers. You have to be humble and go find lots of people to talk to and 
naturally not everybody is going to feel comfortable talking to you like like you know giving feedback um and you don't want to just put surveys in front of everybody because that can have bias also you just got to go find people who care and that are willing to bet on your projects and spend time with them like understand their i mean they're not every person's gonna be like oh well let me tell you about my requirements here's my list of priority zero things like, like that's not in most people's wheelhouse so we used to travel a lot more and go uh you know sit with a customer for a few days and try to understand how they were using things now it's because it's funny like with the abundance of remote work now and the uh the the growth and maturity of those tools it also has naturally led to cutting travel costs so everything is over like a camera and microphone now uh, which has pros and cons sounds like empathy might also be a helpful pm skill being able to empathize and kind of understand everyone's problems and not just hear that big fire that whenever someone's kind of yelling as loud as they can, because I know that's where my mind instantly goes. It's like, oh no, there's something wrong. But you have to think that it might not be the actual right case to act on. Is uh, yeah, it takes some wisdom and experience, which it sounds like you have plenty of. Ha! <laughs> I don't know about that. Experience. <laughs> I think that the wisdom is just being willing and open to other people's perspectives and learning from others. I think that that's a, a great hallmark of someone who's going to be successful in IT, hopefully. And just have a better life because you don't want to be in the position where you have to always know the right answer. It's just a stressful spot. It's not good. It's better to be open to other ideas and share that brain knowledge. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we could have a, you know, PowerShell, Conf, EU, and US like four times a year, but I don't think that's possible. Although the mini was this week, and yeah. that's like those that event is cool. I was just about to say we should do some more of those because those are freaking awesome. It it really feels like you're in the room with some people, and whenever I'm done with it, I'm like, okay, I got my socialization in for the day for sure. I felt like I really was hanging out with people. It's like Zelda meets my work life. Yes, because <laughs> you got like a little avatar that can move around the map, and and like you walk up to someone, and then suddenly they show up on your laptop with the camera on you. Oh, oh! hey, I know you. Or, <laughs> hey, who are you? Yeah. That should be a good one. That's really fun. Yeah, that platform is really neat. Gosh, I feel like I've learned so much about being a PM. But you know what I don't know a lot about? Being super orderly and being able to manage a bunch of different priorities. And I think some of the skills that, that you might have had to run into. So do you have any tips for us? That you've learned from having to be a PM and manage conversations and priorities and tasks? How do you keep things straight for yourself? For me personally, I am trying to move away from email at this point because for so long, I let just opening my inbox dictate every move that I made. Like it was literally a system of Email comes in, I flag it or delete it. I have some folders and things like that. But it was like, it was my to-do list and communication. And I think when that's part of the culture, some people, I'm not picking on anybody specifically. I've just sort of seen this at, at scale. Some people will take advantage of that system. So they don't 
really want to work on a task. So they'll find some reason that they need input from somebody else and then send an email about it. And then in their mind, they've parked that task until they get a reply back to that email. And so now you're like a blocker for them getting stuff done. And I, I, I call it like they just threw it over the fence, right? And then they just like went back to what they were doing, um, which is horrible because now you open your inbox and it's like, how much time do I spend when this email is not helping me do my job? It's just the other person put this burden on me now. And so the difference with chat, I think, is they might ask a question. Someone might ask a question to you. But if you don't respond pretty quickly, then they assume that you can't answer their question right now. And it seems like they don't pause. They're just like, oh, you can't answer that question right now. I have to find somebody else or or, look, or or find, keep searching. Maybe I'll find the answer, like that kind of thing. That has been a major relief to me. Um, so I'm trying to get there. Now, it's also weird because if I only do email like twice a day, or some days it's like I don't even open email. And then whenever I get up, I grab my phone and do all my email on my phone, which just means that I'm taking my email into my personal life. And that's horrible. But uh, I think you see where I'm headed. Like I'm trying to get more fluid and dynamic and not just answer emails. I think I'm getting there. So you kind of have more of like a working list in your mind rather than a to-do list for each day kind of thing? Or do you have certain things you do every day, routines that are helpful? I do. Um, I go through pretty much exactly the same routine every morning of like, um, like making coffee is like a, a like a, a meditation for me. I'm super into coffee, and then like try to spend some time like either being outside, like I clear my head, and then um, what I'm trying to get to is if it's come through as a communication and it need and it and it is something I need to go spend some time on, just put it on my calendar. So that way, like some time is set aside. I know it's coming, I'll work on it, and then move on with my life and not just have a to-do list that's like every morning there's 10 things that need to get done and I'm trying to get through. Remember the Jeffrey Snover blog post that was like, everybody has 10 jobs. They're trying to figure out which nine they can fail at and not get fired. That's rough. You live that way. Um, so I'm trying to get to a more fluid schedule. Something that has helped me a lot um, so two years ago when Joey left, uh, then they asked me to become the lead for the PowerShell PM team. So it was really ironic timing. Like I'm, I've been wanting to start thinking about managing people for a while and felt like that was getting the right time in my life to start working on that. Um, so I had a heart to heart with Jeffrey and several other people and decided, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll manage the PM team. I'm ready to manage people. Um, like a month later, Kenneth Hansen self-published a book called Small Team Management. And I was like, you're almost like, okay, so you know, I'm, I'm going to take on this new job. If only the person who did this job very successfully before would write a book and share everything they learned so that I could then take that and let it contribute to my success. And then he did. <laughs> So I called him and was like, do you realize what just happened? Like, no, what are you talking about? And uh, so then we had a call and we walked through it together as I was reading it. Stuff like that. But that was awesome. I definitely, that's a great book because he didn't even intend for people to sit down and read it cover to cover. He wanted to be something that you put on your desk. And then like when you're feeling challenged, you would thumb through it and find something that he had been through 
that was similar to the challenge you're facing and think about it. So it's really cool, uh, but it's called small team management. Kind of nice. Yeah. Always good to learn from the experiences of others and kind of shortcut yourself. I like that. Managing small teams, you said? Small team management. Small team management. Yeah. Very cool. I'll put a link to that as well. Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So I'll ask, I'll ask you guys a question because I listen to the podcast all the time. Um, and uh, one of the funny things that happens, there's a name for this now. It's social something. Um, whenever you're a frequent podcast listener, you feel like you've had a conversation with people, but it was just them talking to you. Like <laughs> you were just listening to the recording. So uh, I'll turn that around. So what, is, what do you think will come out of artificial intelligence um, and terminal experiences? Because we're at this weird point in time. Somebody the other day said, this, this might be as big a change as the browser, right? Like it could fundamentally change everything. And there's no right or wrong answers right now. So once again, it's an, like a cool time to look at the technology. I can't speak for way down in the future, but to me, the biggest thing that's changing from it is its ability to cut out a lot of the busy work as well as be a teaching tool. So an example of uh, if you're writing content and you have all the core things, you can say, hey, could I get some information on that? And it gives you kind of a, a framework to build on and then you go and you make it your own. So a, lo a lot of the, the research and teaching is easier to access now with AI. Yeah, you said terminal experiences. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> usually I just like watching the Microsoft presentations and seeing the cool stuff that you guys are thinking about. But I think that there will be some definitely some improvements to like tips type of thing whenever it notices some code that maybe could use some improvements. I think further improvements to enable you to prompt like from what you're doing. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I personally use it. This isn't so much in the terminal, but to get some scaffolding for some scripts, like oftentimes I'll change a lot of the stuff, but just for me having a blank slate, I don't enjoy too much. Um, and having kind of some of the core commands already filled out, even if I have to run, get help to see the exact parameters, but I don't have any huge thoughts in it from a terminal perspective. The, um, to steal Steven's platform for a while because he's he's our he's very focused on figuring out what all these experiences should look like. Um, one of the things he and I have been talking about is the state of all this stuff right now is very like SDK level. So it's like someone said, "Hey, here's a service that can add numbers," and everybody's building a calculator. <laughs> so cool! It's another way to talk to chat, and it is super helpful, and that's important, and everybody should have a way to talk to chat. But I'm really trying to figure out where are the places where this will deeply, deeply embed itself and change the way we use tools, not just be like, I want to ask how to use the tool and it makes a recommendation. Um, so we've come up with this categorization of problems that maybe will help. Uh, and, and we'll see if it helps anybody out in the world um, give suggestions to us. But there's... I went, we're, we're lucky at Microsoft, there's the Microsoft library and you can go access, you know, anything you want and do research. So I've been reading a ton, um, just about how, uh, how the human mind works, both in sports and everything. Um, 
working with coaches and how people learn sports like that. Um, so th- I think one of the big pivot points is when you hit enter. Once you hit enter, you can't unhit enter. So that's your first division. It's like everything that, what can we do before you hit enter to help? And then after you hit enter, it's effectively too late, but reactively, what can we do to help you out? Before you hit enter, there's the initial, and and, then Jason Helmick has this really great metaphor that I love, but he's like, yeah, imagine you're walking, like you walk by me sitting at my desk. You kind of read my body language. So if I'm just like, oh yeah, everything's good. And I'm working on a script that I love then you probably just leave me alone. You might ask, you know, hey, do you want to go get coffee after a while? Because it looks like you're being successful right now. Um, but if, you know, if you walk up and I'm, you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to solve this problem. Maybe you kind of subtly get involved and say, hey, you all right, man? Like, looks like you're working on something there. Can I, can I help out? So that starts to get into the subtle and the experiences we all have with like very subtle interactions would be like IntelliSense. Like you're in VS Code, you've got a typo. It tries to tell you before you even run the script. Oh, it's it's not get command. It's get command, right? That was never going to work um, in a way that's non-disruptive. I don't know other than IntelliSense, what are the non-disruptive ways that a shell can help somebody out? They could get really advanced, like understanding the objects that one command outputs and looking at what it was piped to and saying, no, that won't work. And maybe that'll help with, or, or like something's going to fail along the way. So like the old error message that says you can't run a method on a null value. Everybody's hit that. Maybe that can be detected earlier. I don't think that's really AI. I think that's like building more stuff. AI and that would be, and this would be a horrible experience right now, but it would be like literally when you hit enter, take the command and ask AI, is this going to work? maybe there's some levels in there like what's based on this text what do you think the experience level is of this user and then like decide whether or not they should have interactions well well, ps relaying has the feedback providers which isn't really intelligent it it helps finding particular commands quicker as after yeah yeah after you've already (laughs) failed we try to help you realize why you failed that's a bummer especially if the command that you typed accidentally did something uh I think it's a cool, cool, amazing thing that it exists, but I'm trying to figure out. The way that I envision it is it would have to be some form of text that like pops up underneath the line you're on um, kind of thing, like a tool, tool tip. But since it's a terminal, I don't know, it might have to always be up. And you just kind of accept that there's going to be some green or yellow text at the bottom that's going to maybe give you suggestions. Maybe it'll have a hyperlink you can open based on whatever you're running. And probably has to be opt-in. Like people, people, some people find anything happening while they're typing in the shell to be like a shut down level of interruption. So they have to be able to completely opt out of it. And then you have to figure out, you know, obviously maybe you don't want to share all of your business information with the AI service. And so to figure out that kind of stuff too. Um, so after subtle basically comes ask where you're walking by Jason Helmick's office and he's frustrated and, and he asks for help, but ask divides. And it's like, you know, the answer. So that's tab completion, right? It's like you hit dash tab and it starts cycling through the available parameters. It knows for sure what the answer is. Uh, but then there's the ask and a guess, and that would be like predictors. Um, but all that has to happen before you hit enter. And then once you hit enter, 
either it's like, hey, you got some information. We could ask AI, what are the things you can do with a service with an object, a .NET object that represents services running on a machine, um, and it can provide guidance. Or you get an error, and the error message is not helpful, and it could maybe go link you to docs and things like that. But try like that that one level deeper, just one click in, I think, is a different experience than. Um, just having something that you can ask for help. I, I don't know. I'd like something where if I hit the the what if parameter, but they didn't set it up to actually accept what if, it stops and says, yeah, that's not going to work instead of just running the command. And that could even be a power cord in PS Readline. Like instead of actually uh, running what if, you could just hit a key. To see if what ifs. Oh, I like that. What if. That'd be yeah. nice. And I like yeah. playing power cord because it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel like that that's uh that's a really dangerous one because if you're expecting what if like after why you just you tr trust it and if it doesn't work it could be real bad so yes 100 percent um so anybody that has i mean obviously people should go build uh their own stuff if they're interested but um anybody who has ideas and feedback uh i would say bring them to the community call and let's have more discussions there on this kind of topic because i think we, we don't we don't want all the um, notions and ideas to to happen uh, in a vacuum. We really want the community to start figuring. Like it's 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 funny because right now, if you ask somebody like, "What do you want from AI?" They're like, "This is a brand new technology. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know." But it's fun to brainstorm. It, it's kind of exciting because there's always the the stage of like, "What's going to be the next big?" Thing and it's hard to see what's coming, but now we know what it is and it's still new, so we don't have to worry about what's the next big thing. It's we have to we have to figure out what we're going to do with it. I like how it represents. It, it just helps me because in my career, I've always learned a lot of new things, but I've tried to do it in a way where I didn't actually have to remember it all, like core concepts, programming stuff like that. Yeah, but for the individual technologies, I just documented it well and, and tried to not give too much brain space and. This is very helpful with that sort of thing because there's a whole different array of of base level knowledge that I now have at my fingertips and not so much from the terminal experience, but just AI in general. I kind of enjoy how there is a form of collected knowledge uh, that is often pretty helpful that is a lot easier for me to access. And it seems like it's going to be a tool that'll be around for the future of my work career. So I can now start to rely on it and expect it to be there. We've had some um, some brainstorming conversations about does is there such a thing as the senses of PowerShell, and if so, how could that complement a request like a like could a could a prompt be dynamically generated, and if so, what can PowerShell try to tell it? It was like, what's the time frequency between how often they were running commands, how many of those commands ended in error, what modules are available, like, but then. Like I said, you don't necessarily want to just send all of your personal data off to an AI service. So maybe some of that stuff has to happen locally so it stays private, but then some representation of some helpful information routes through an AI. And because and, and then again, I could be like, oh, well, either they seem to be happy or they seem to be frustrated. And maybe that can happen dynamically. There's no wrong answers right now. Well, the, to me, the big thing is finding out to make sure AI is absorbing the right data, because before ChatGPT and all that, 
I believe there was one that was put out there as kind of a precursor to AI, and within like a week, it had become horribly racist. That doesn't. <laughs> so they're probably talking to. Well, yeah, who knows? yeah. So, so I'm sure, it went wrong fast. Yeah, so th there's a lot of safeguards got to be in there because there, there's people that are just going to trust without question, which shouldn't happen, and that opens up the gateway for some pretty horrific things. Yes. I don't want to be the, somebody's going to do it, but I don't want to be the person that's like, we've got an AI engine for you. You just ask it what you want to happen and it runs it for you. That it runs it for you terrifies me a little bit. <laughs> like, come back and say, do you want to run this? And then you like, try to figure out what it meant, right? You need an AI what if. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there always needs to be an are you sure. Maybe someday that'll change, but I'm not there. Gordon, I think he's done a good job so far, I'll be honest. He's answered these questions pretty well. I had to say so myself. But Jordan, I think we got to crank it up a little bit. No one's ever ready for the common parameters. Never, not once. So as, as a longtime listener, as you stated, you probably think that you're ready. But just uh, we're going to start and you're going to find out it's, it's so much worse than you even imagined. But are you ready for the common parameters? <laughs> All right. First one. What's one time something went wrong while on the job? And what did you learn from it? I've got a few of these. Um, but the one that stands out, remember I was saying uh, that we, we almost open sourced DSC and then we didn't. Um, that was a really big learning. I, I'm not even sure still uh, that I finished learning off of that. So way back when. Uh, we had decided to open source DSC. I had all the compliance work done. I had you know thumbs up around the table. Everybody's on board. Uh, went to PowerShell Conf EU, presented on it. Like, oh, we're going to go do this together. It's going to be great. Came back and like a week later, my manager had to tell me, hey, you know, some new stuff has landed on our plate. There's no way we can do what we said we were going to do. So we're going to have to change that. And I was devastated like heartbroken like are you kidding me? i literally just went around the world and told people we were going to do this and now i can't like that's horrible uh i basically never gave up on it and just kept pushing it, eventually like three years later we got it done um but i think that's part of business things are going to change and you're going to have to react and uh it didn't go the way i thought it was going to go now that we have great partners like that um Obviously, DSC is open source. There's a bunch of new things happening in DSC, which is super exciting. Um, but I'm still digesting, like, what do you take away from that? Whenever, personally, you are very emotionally invested in something, and then it just doesn't make sense for your organization. It's not going to happen the way you thought. So you need to figure out, okay, what are the best parts of that momentum that I can use for myself and for others? And like just make peace and, and not be too hung up on it, not let it ruin your everyday um, emotional well-being and, and just try to try to figure out, okay, well, what were the things that we still can do that will help people the best we're able and then keep it in the parking lot until we can come back to it and, and be okay with that. But that's something that I'm still trying to learn. <laughs> I don't know that there's a way out of it. I think it's a process. All right. Well, I like that one. So far, so good. You, you, th you seem like you're prepped, but it only gets worse. All right. Second common parameter. With everything you know now, 
What's one tip you'd give your younger self when first starting in IT? Um, and, th- and this is probably more even just life in general. Uh, I would tell myself to trust my instincts way more than I have over the past, over history. Um, I've always been sort of like looking for a coach, looking for a mentor, asking people for help, things like that, um, which is good. And you want to do that. You want to go find the right mentors. Um, And I've been very lucky to have great people around to point me in the right direction. Um, I also think I was probably not as self-confident as I could have been and just um, whether it's like moving faster to go learn something new or uh, be willing to take a risk on a different role or, or, you know, you name it, um, you know, just, just that, like, trust yourself and listening to your heart and being, will, being, being willing to say like, Oh, I've, you know, I've asked three people. One of them told me not to do this. So maybe I should hold back. And, but my heart really wants to, or, or my spidey sense tells me not to also important. But, um, I think that's something as you get older, you look back and we're like, man, I should have just trusted myself. Um, that whenever you're young is like impossible. Yeah, that's some great advice. Developing a relationship and trust within yourself. That's been something I've been working on and it's definitely a game changer. Like I said, that question is always the one that surprised me the most because it's very rarely an IT related bit, bit of advice. I think it's, we're, we're, we're in IT, we understand how that works. So the advice comes to how to be a fully functional person and to do IT. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Third and last common parameter. Are you ready? What are your three favorite modules in PowerShell? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's going to sound cheesy. So, first of all, utility, Microsoft.powershell.utility. Um, uh, I think earlier you mentioned like going back to basics, things like that. It's kind of like in sports or in jujitsu or something like that, just the way that you've got to go back and drill, like, like, Baseball players go to batting practice and, you know, that kind of stuff. Football players, you know, get there early and, and take catches on the field and stuff like that. Um, like sitting down after time, like you said, uh, you know, not everything in your memory is going to be there sometimes uh, when, in the future when you need it. So sitting down and going like, hey, let's, let's do get command and then let's save that as a variable and go do a get member. And like, remember we did that the very first day of PowerShell class at some point, if you took a PowerShell class or read a PowerShell book. Um, But when you did it, then it was like, oh, cool. I can see what methods are here. Now that you've had time to write some scripts, you go back and it's like, oh, well, what is this property of get commands objects that's parameters? And then you lean into that and it's like, oh, somebody has put a completer in their script or a script-based validation, or something that makes it feel like magic, that, um, you know, if you're just quickly turning out scripts, you might not find. So anyway, I, I think that utility module is, is uh, undervalued. Um, the other two that I think are super undervalued, obviously PS Readline, everybody loves PS Readline, including myself, it changed the shell experience. Um, but I think we can do a lot more with secret management. Um, and just to put the word out, you know, the way that PowerShell releases, you've got the long-term stable and then the release in between. That release in between is an opportunity to do cool new features for user experience because it's not part of the LTS. So things like 
what would make secret management something of your everyday life and not you know something that you build into your script by running get secret and stuff like that um, is community discussions we should probably start firing up we should we should get the campfire going and get everybody around with s'mores and start thinking about this, some of this kind of stuff well, i was in for the discussion but now that the s'mores are involved <laughs> sign me up all right well you crush it it looks it looks like uh, listening does pay off so all, all, you, all you future guests that are listening right now you got you got to study hard if you want the <laughs> common parameters Yep. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this, Michael. I, you probably are as a long-time listener, but you're, you were in the presence of a legend. He actually created desired state shilling, but it was so perfect at 1.0, it never had to go to another version. It's just, it's just what it is. And now we get to see firsthand. <laughs> I've heard it recording, but to hear it live. Oh. Oh you are in for a treat. Take it away, Dear listeners. Thank you so much. Another fantastic episode. You're probably happier than I am, and I'm ecstatic. Give us a like, comment, a subscription. Leave us a five-star review or whatever on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Did you know we're played in all countries? 156 in Taiwan last month for like two days. Let's go. Exciting stuff. <laughs> For two days in the technology space specifically. Yeah, uh, yeah. Two days after release. But pretty good, right? <laughs> pretty good. You can join us on the PDQ Discord for a little closer chat. Share your favorite PowerShell module in the PowerShell channel. Discord.gg slash PDQ link in the show notes. Another amazing, potential award-winning episode with a fantastic guest. Michael, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives with us, your opinions. Where can we find you on the internet if we want to tap in, want to say thank you, want to say hello? Uh, either of the Discord. So um, the best way to reach me, if I mean, if you have my email address, feel free to, to reach out. But um, I try to stay plugged into the PowerShell um, Slack Discord virtual community. Uh, and then I try to drop in the PDQ community Discord channel um, once in a while as well. Number one, just to see when this awesome podcast has been published and you know, make sure I'm consuming the latest episodes. But uh, I find that's just a good, like those chats are a great way to stay in touch with people because there's no barrier. People can just jump in and talk. From all different levels, you see people who are super advanced and you see people who are just getting into it and going through that awesome experience that a lot of us who are listening to this have had where they kind of fall in love with PowerShell. I like flat architectures where everybody's together. And just, just, just contributing and working towards a, like the common goal of making all of our lives better. Those are that's music to my ears right there. I love that stuff. So, what a great way to end a fantastic episode. Yeah, thank, thank you, everybody, you so for listening. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick.